Well, we started uh, looking at Jonah last uh, week. We, we really just looked at verses uh, 1 to 3 last week. Uh, and there we saw, uh, if you like, the backdrop for this book, where, where God commissions Jonah to go and preach a message of judgment to Nineveh, uh, but in the hope of bringing them to repentance. Uh, and the shock uh, that Jonah rises and flees from the commands. He proves to be an unworthy messenger and saviour. Uh, that is the backdrop. We're going we're to read what happens next. We're going to read uh, most of chapter 1, uh, down to verse 16. Let me read for us. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord's. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his gods, and they hurled their, their cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your gods. Perhaps the god will give a thought to us that we might not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? The sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hill me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord's. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent bloods. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Let me pray again to come to God's word. Father, give us ears to hear, give us hearts that uh, receive. We confess our, our minds are often dull, our thoughts often wander. Uh, so we pray, give us your spirit without measure, uh, so that we may hear and see and believe, and so be changed, uh, to live and walk for Christ better and better in our lives. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. But disaster often strikes uh, from nowhere, doesn't it? You're driving along and bam, the car hits you, you're cooking dinner and the phone rings 
bringing terrible news. You're playing sports. Oh, you hurt your leg. Many of you will know far better than me that disaster often strikes from nowhere. In our passage, disaster strikes the sea from nowhere. Verse 4, when Jonah runs, the Lord hurls a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest. And then verse 5, it tells us that the mariners were afraid. I wonder whether you find that a little bit surprising. The focus of the book seems to be on Jonah and Jonah's disobedience, and yet it shifts to these sailors. In fact, throughout this story, this passage, Jonah seems to have quite a passive role. He's sleeping until awoken. He's silent until spoken to. And when he ends up in the sea, it's not because he jumped overboard. It's because he's been hurled overboard. And in comparison, the sailors are a hive of activity. They're the ones crying out. They're the ones hurling cargo. They're the ones questioning Jonah. They're the ones rowing hard. Uh, people often spend a lot of time trying to figure out exactly how Jonah was feeling in this passage or how Jonah or what Jonah was thinking. Uh, for example, when he's asleep, is he sleeping out of sorrow uh, because his heart is so weighed down with what he's done? Or is he sleeping because actually his conscience isn't disturbed, he's peaceful? Uh, I think the truth of chapter one is that we actually glimpse very little of Jonah's heart. In fact, that's reserved for us until chapter 2. That's where we really explore how Jonah is feeling. But in contrast, we know exactly how the sailors are feeling. And the way the sailors are feeling is overwhelmingly afraid. What have you noticed that throughout the passage? We have here a boat full of petrified pagans. Chapter uh, verse 5, the mariners were afraid, afraid of the storm. A general fear of the storm there. Uh, Later on, verse 10, they become exceedingly afraid, dismayed, a dismayed fear of the Lord and what he's doing. Uh, But by the end of the passage, we move to them being afraid of the Lord in a good sense, a sense that they come before him and worship uh, the God which they didn't even know at the start. And they fear in a godly way. It seems to us that uh, as Christians, if you're a Christian this morning, as the church, I think we're being challenged. We're being challenged by by what we see in the sailors, and we're being challenged by Jonah's inactivity and passivity. And the first major challenge for us is in verses 4 to 6. The challenge is this, wake up! Wake up! People are seeking refuge. Wake up, people are seeking refuge. Confronted by disaster, fear drives people to seek refuge. As I said, for the the sailors, they've seemingly been struck by a storm out of the blue. Uh, Their ship literally threatens to to, to break up into pieces. The literal translation is it's thought to break up. Uh, It becomes uh, painfully apparent to the sailors that they are helpless, that they're facing death, facing potential shipwreck, and they need help. And the storm, if you like, wakes them up to their powerlessness. And fear drives them to seek refuge. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those 
koi ponds that uh, has those Japanese, Japanese fish in them. You know, those red, red and white fish with the large fins. Uh, if you go up to a koi pond, you might see uh, the fish kind of swimming lazily about. Pick up a pebble and chuck it in, and the fish will dart and hide and seek refuge. And that's what the sailors are doing here. They're seeking refuge, and the refuge they seek is in their gods. They cried out, verse 5, to his gods. They each have a deity that they run to when the going gets tough. When the, when the phone call comes, when the car slams into yours, what do people turn to? What refuge do they seek? There's all sorts of answers you could give. Uh, maybe their bank balance, maybe friends and family, maybe healthy living, maybe spirituality and mindfulness, Buddhism and, and meditation, perhaps solitude, perhaps travel and experience and sensual living. Eat and drink today because tomorrow we die. Disaster strikes people, shaking them from lethargy. And when that happens, uh, they run uh, to refuges. They run to personal gods they can lean on to try and get them through their disaster. We've seen that very clearly in this country at the moment, haven't we? Our nation has gone through a national disaster with the coronavirus. Many people have been faced with death in a way they've not been faced with death before in in our generation. People have not only faced the, the threat of losing loved ones, but people have actually lost loved ones, precious Joys, precious people, precious privileges have been taken away from us. And I wonder if you've noticed, if you've ever thought about what kind of refuges have people sought? Where have they gone? It's painfully clear to me, I think, that on a national scale, the primary place seems to be our intellect, uh, science, uh, or the NHS. Boris Johnson frequently says to us, we will follow the science and where the science goes. A refuge has been in our intellect and in medicine. To be, just just to, be, to be clear, I'm not slamming those things. I mean, those, those are good things. Those are good things, but they're not gods. I wonder if you remember the slogan. Well, of course you remember the slogan. It's everywhere. Stay at home. Protect the NHS. Save lives. What's the problem with that? Well, the problem is it's not true. It's not true. Yes, the NHS, NHS does good. Yes, social distancing does good, and we're all grateful for that. But the save lives, realistically, it only delays death. After all, that is the root of the sailors' fear here. The root of their fear is death. And, and their personal gods, what they discover, their personal gods are powerless to help them. I think that, that proves true for all the refuges that people run to in the long run. They all prove powerless. And while the wind howls and the waves crash and the spray hisses and the boat creaks and the sailors rush around the ship, what is Jonah doing? Verse 5, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. He's like a man snoring while the house burns down around him. And everyone else is rushing about, getting the the possessions out, getting people out, calling uh, 999 for help. But he snores and sleeps peacefully. 
So who can blame the captain in verse 6 when he comes to him and says, what do you mean, you sleeper? How dare you sleep while we are perishing? Arise, he says. Arise and call out to your God. Jonah awakes to a stinging rebuke. And it must have seemed to him that the very words of God were coming to him. Uh, because God told him in verse 2 to arise and call out against the great city Nineveh. And here he hears someone coming to him and saying, arise and call out. He's being rebuked, it seems, by God himself. So while the sailors are being awoken to their helplessness, Jonah is being awoken to his faithlessness. There's an irony, isn't there, that Jonah is fleeing the task of bringing deliverance to pagans in Nineveh, only to be confronted by pagans seeking deliverance from him. The captain comes and says, arise, Christian. He says, Christian, can your God help me? He says, can your God sort out my problems? Can I lean on your God to get me through this storm? Will he give a thought to my trouble? Can he do something that will bring calm to my troubled waters? How little he knows. Isn't it sad? How little he knows. Perhaps your God will give a thought. When it's that God, the Lord, who held the storm upon them in the first place, he's the only one who can give a thought and help them. But how is he to know that? You see, how is he to know that? Because Jonah has been silent and asleep in the ship. He's been silent when people around him have been seeking deliverance. Isn't the captain's ignorance like so many people's ignorance of the church today and of who our God is today? For the captain, Jonah's God was just another God among many. He's just another refuge among many. He's just another person, another thing, another place to go to when the going gets tough. I vividly, vividly remember an evangelistic event where I sat next to someone who wasn't a Christian and they'd come along for the first time. I remember him saying to me, your God is just a crutch. You, you just go and be a Christian. You just go to church because you want to believe there's someone out there who can help you through your troubles, to get you through your hard times. Your God is just a crutch. What are people failing to see in this passage? What, what are sailors failing to see at this point? Well, our second point, from verse 7 to 10. What they're failing to see is that God caused the storm. God caused the storm. It's obvious to us. We read verse 4. We know the Lord hurled the storm upon the sea. It's obvious to Jonah, although he's been silent about it. But it's not obvious to the sailors. So they gather around, say to each other, come, let's cast lots. So we may know on whose account the evil has come upon us. Who caused the storm? Why is it here? Why has it come? It's interesting that they, they cast lots, isn't it? They start seeking for divine guidance. It's my firm belief that no one can really shape the feeling deep down that we're not alone. And often it's when a disaster strikes that people turn to a higher power. People pray. People listen to a divine sense they seem to have in them. So they cast lots, and the lot falls on Jonah. And so they pepper him with questions, a bit like a machine gun. Pop, 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 pop. Where'd you come from? 
Who are you? Where is your country? What people do you belong to? And Jonah's answer fills them with fear, a different kind of fear from the fear they had before. Jonah says, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. The the, uh, sailors become exceedingly afraid. Literally, they feared a great fear, it says. Their general fear of the storm and of the chaos, which seems uncontrolled to them, becomes a specific fear of Jonah's God. Why? Well, because they hear and they realize that Jonah believes in a God that that controls all things, who holds the heavens and the earth in his hands, and more significantly, significantly, has caused the storm which they are in. And the storm is caused by Jonah's sin and rebellion, that they are in the hands of not just the true and living God, but in the hands of the angry God. That divine sense they had in the cast lot seeking guidance, that divine sense turns out not to be a, a spirit in the sky. It turns out not to be a guiding hand that people can turn to in tough times. It turns out not to be an energy that kind of animates all things and animates us. Uh, but a person, a uh, someone, uh, someone who's thrown them into a storm, into chaos because of Jonah's sin. He's not a crutch to get them through the storm. He caused the storm. You could hardly blame them when the rebuke falls from their lips and they say, what is this you have done? How foolish are you to flee from a God you know made the sea? Try and flee across the sea. They're awakened for the first time to who God is. Tells us something by the way, as Christians, the foolishness of turning to sinful ways. We know the Lord made all things and sees all things. We can't escape him. God throws storms. He throws this storm. He throws other storms. He brings disaster to wake the world up to its sin. It's worth me pausing there and just saying, particularly if, you, if you've been in a disaster or had hard times come to you it's not necessarily the result of a specific sin that would be a painful and harmful message for me to preach to you this mess this morning you remember job earlier on in scripture job was a righteous man and yet suffered terribly but i am saying disaster exists in this world and is sent by god because we as a whole are a rebellious race the sailors in the passage are caught up in a storm, but it's not a storm caused by their sin per se. They're caught up in a storm, but it's, sin, it's a storm caused by Jonah's sin. But that's not to say they're not sinners. Not to say they don't deserve to be there. They're no more guiltless as pagans than Jonah is. Um, Dan Strange is a, is a theologian at Akil, or was a theologian at Akil, and he has a, he has a brilliant analogy. And he says that God is angry at us. Our evil rises up before him, as we saw last week. Our evil stings his nostrils. And God is storing up his wrath for the day of judgment. He says it's a bit like a canopy filled with water. I don't know if you've ever left a gazebo out in the rain and 
a little pool of water forms and weighing down the canvas. And the canvas is ready to break. That's like God's wrath over the world, ready to break. But Dan Strange says, in his mercy, God takes a little penknife and just cuts a little slit in the canvas so drops of wrath come through to our world now to wake people up that the canvas is about to break. In that sense, often the hurt and pain we experience in life now, uh, it's, just, it's just the whipping of the wind. It's the, it's the spray of the waves. It's the first drops of water that's warning us. It's warning us there is a storm brewing. You can look out across the sea. There's a storm coming towards us. C.S. Lewis says that our pain and suffering in the world is a bit like God's megaphone telling us to wake up to wake up to the judgment that's coming. And here we hear and see how God wakes Jonah up to his sin and the foolishness of persisting in sin against him and wakes the sailors up to their helplessness and to their ignorance. Is there a refuge for them? Is there a refuge for them? The only refuge that people can go to when they're in the hands of the living and angry God is a refuge that God provides. There can be no other place to go than to the one who is angry himself. And yes, gloriously, there is a refuge. And you see that even in this passage here. There is a refuge. There is refuge for sorrowful sinners. There is refuge for petrified pagan sailors. Verses 11 through 17. There's one refuge, and the only refuge is Christ. In the storm and disaster comes, the only refuge is Christ. In fact, the purpose of the disaster is to drive us to the Lord Jesus, to God himself. Verse 11, one more question comes to Jonah. What should we do to you? They ask, what should we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? And Jonah says, there is only one way. There's only one thing you can do. Pick me up, he says, and hurl me into the sea. And the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. There's one way to save you, he says. I must die. I wonder if his heart has grown tender for these sailors in their fear. He says to them, for, for, for you to live... I must die. For you to pass through this storm, I must be thrown into this storm. Initially, the sailors try and save themselves and save Jonah as well. Verse 13, nevertheless, they, they rode hard. There's no escape. The storm grows more and more tempestuous against them. And so finally, beaten submission, they cry out, recognizing their powerlessness, recognizing this is the only way that God has provided for them to escape this storm. They cry out to God saying, don't lay on us innocent bloods for you have done as has pleased you. And they pick Jonah up and throw him into the storm. And verse 15, the sea ceased from its raging. All is calm. And they fall to their knees, these sailors, and worship God. They worship God because they realize that he is the true God. They realize that he is the living God, the creator God who made them. Uh, he is the only God worth serving and living for. They've come to know and fear the living God. 
It's hard to know for us if they came to saving faith and permanent faith in the Lord Jesus or in God himself. Um, We have every reason to think they might have done. But if they did, I wonder if you can imagine meeting them in heaven. Meeting them going up to the sailors and saying, oh, you were the sailors. You were the sailors who were in the ship of Jonah when he threw himself, when he threw him overboard to save you. How was that? What was that like? They might say something like, oh, yes, yeah, I remember. I remember Jonah's death saved us from the storm. I remember that, yeah, he, he was cast away under the weight of his sin so that we might escape. I, I remember how Jonah's death brought us peace in the storm, peace to a raging sea. But now I see, they might say, now I see that there's only a shadow, only a sign pointing us forwards to Christ. Jonah saved us from a storm in a sea. Christ saved us from the storm that was coming. Jonah's sacrifice brought us a measure of peace, but Christ's death brought us eternal spiritual peace with the Lord. Arise now that Christ must die for me, or I die eternally. When we step back from this passage and look at it, what we see is the tremendous mercy of God. He could have left Jonah in the ship, saying to Tarshish, and left him to get there safely, left the sea at peace. He left Jonah to reach the Gentile city and live out the rest of his miserable days away from the Lord. Haunted by the cries of the Ninevites, he had abandoned. He could have left these sailors, who were almost at a sideshow going on here in the whole book. He could have left these sailors in ignorance. He did not have to bring them into a genuine and living fear of the Lord. It shows us when we, when we step back and see that that disaster is never inflicted on us with any other reason than to bring us to the Lord, to draw us to him. If you're a Christian this morning, the Lord inflicts you in mercy so you might come closer to him, so you might run to him, so you might depend on him, so you might, might cry out to him. But his mercy here, it goes deeper than that, doesn't it? Because we see in Christ that he rescues us from his own wrath. When he comes, he comes in the person of his son, uh, to bear the storm that we deserve. Uh, the Lord himself comes down from heaven uh, to shelter us, to spread his wings over us. So when the storm comes, we are safe and we will pass through unharmed. As I finished, I once heard a story of a girl uh, who got uh, converted. She'd been at uni for a few years, and she had Christian friends at uni. Uh, But by all accounts, she had left uni uh, not any the wise about how to find salvation in Christ. Several years later, it came to pass that she was saved, she was rescued. She took refuge in the Lord Jesus, and her friends from uni, her Christian friends, were like, that is amazing. Praise God. Isn't that glorious? But her first words to them were a rebuke. How could you not tell me? 
All this time you knew. All this time you knew what I needed. How could you not tell me? How could you keep silent? If you're a Christian this morning, how can you keep silent? People around us, particularly in our time in, in coronavirus, are seeking refuge, attending to all sorts of gods to save them, and places which are ultimately powerless to save them from the storm that is coming. And we know the place they need to go. We know the refuge they must seek. So let us not be those who are like Jonah, who sleep, while those around us are running around perishing without hope. Let us not be people who have Christ and love Christ, but hold Christ so close to ourselves that we never offer Christ with open hands to those who need him. Our God has provided the refuge we need from the storm that is coming. Let's pray. Our Father, we I confess that we often forget uh, your wrath, your anger, our rebellion and sin. We confess that it is sad to look out upon a world where people seek all sorts of refuges that aren't Christ. Please forgive us that that doesn't, doesn't break our hearts as it should. It break all us to be people who are both come to Christ ourselves when disaster strikes, seeks, seek him, seek refuge in him, but also are quick to open our arms and to offer him to others because he is what the world needs. Pray, give us strength and courage this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.